Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to talk to you this morning for just a few moments on the subject of an unconventional birth, an unconventional birth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name, and Lord, we thank you for your, your word. God, I pray that you would touch me, Lord, even as we talked earlier today, to be able to effectively communicate this message today. I pray that our understanding would be enlightened, that our spirit would be open, that we would be able to receive what you are speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, all across pulpits, all around the world today, there are ministers standing in the pulpit all talking about the birth of Jesus. It seems like that uh, there's almost this packaged message that people expect you to preach on Christmas Day about Jesus. Here's my philosophy about that. We're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus a little bit today. But here's my philosophy about that. You have a lot of CEO Christians. Christmas and Easter only. And if all they hear is just those same two messages every time that they come to church, how are they ever going to hear anything else, you know, that could possibly set them free? And so we're going to mix the birth of Jesus in with this, but I'm going to be doing a little bit more in-depth teaching today, and we're going to be talking about a little bit more about what his birth actually meant. Now, the birth of Jesus is a beautiful picture of God sending his son to this earth to take on the form of man and to become the sacrificial lamb that would satisfy the requirements of the law. And that is a beautiful, beautiful story. But I want you to know this morning that his birth was more than that. And we're going to talk about a little bit of what that more is. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born... And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Somebody say the government, the government shall be upon his shoulder. We're going to come back and visit that in a little while. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now understand, it says Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma. It's not Wonderful Counselor, it's Wonderful, that's his name. He shall be called Wonderful, and he shall be called Counselor, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And when it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this. It just simply means that God's not in the business of dragging his feet. All right? God wants to get this done. So I want to talk to us just a little bit. First of all, before we really get into this, and I'm going to share this little illustration with you, I want to talk to us just a little bit about who God is and help us to understand it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, if I can get my helpers to come up here and help me for just a few moments. 
You know, the enemy will find anything in the world that he can find to try to create division among the church. He'll create all kinds of different doctrines. He'll create all kinds of different truths. He'll create all kinds of different interpretations. Just bring this over here and set it behind you if you would, please. He'll create all kinds of different interpretations and whatnot to try to confuse people so people will start fighting with one another that call themselves Christians. One of those areas is the area of the Godhead. Now, when I was growing up, mom and dad, they're here this morning and they can verify this. When I was growing up, there was a period of time we were with, we were with Trinity people, but there was a smaller period of time that we were with people who were oneness. And that's because we were searching for truth. Now, for those of you that believe you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus, I just want you to know I got the basis covered. I've been baptized in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and in the name of Jesus. So, there you go. And when I baptize here in the baptismal, some of you don't know it, but there's a baptismal right here. When we baptize there, we baptize in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son. And if you listen closely, you'll hear me say, Who is Jesus? And in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's always, it seems like, been this misunderstanding and this war between what we call Trinity people and what we call oneness people. Trinity people believe that there are three personalities. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, who are all three God, but they are three separate, but they're all three God. They're all, all known as God. Oneness people believe that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all the same person. So when God said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased, hear ye him. When he said that about over Jesus at the baptism of Jordan, when Jesus was being baptized, they believed that God was actually speaking to himself. And so there's been a confusion about it. Now I want to explain to you, and when the Bible said a virgin will be with child and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. When she said that, and when the scriptures say that, that got me to thinking, I need to kind of explain this in a better way. So I'm going to give you a very practical explanation and illustration that you can do in your kitchen to explain to people how three can be one. And how one can be three. This will explain the Godhead. Y'all ready for this? All right. What did Jesus say he was? Jesus said, I am the water of life. So this, we can say, represents Jesus or the water. Okay? All right. Now, God, we're just going to use this as an example right here. We're going to say... We're going to use the ice here, and this will represent God. Can everyone see that okay? All right, that represents God. So we have Jesus, and we have God, and this is supposed to be steaming. The steam would represent the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Ghost in fire. You got it? Okay, so we have three separate things. We have water, we have ice, and we have steam. They're all three separate. You can't drink this water like you drink this steam. You make tea with steam, 
You probably make tea with the water, but it'd take a really long time, okay? You can't drink ice. You have to chew it. Am I the only one that chews ice? You have to chew the ice. Now, how can they all be one? Well, here's the thing. They're all H2O. Now, you got Jesus. You've got God. And you've got the Holy Spirit. What's that look like? That looks like H2O, doesn't it? You mix all of that together. Now, I challenge any one of you to come up here and divide all of that out like it was right before I put it in there. You can't do it. You know why? Because these three are one. And this one is all three. Does that make sense? That's very simple to understand, isn't it? They're all H2O. When the angel, you can take this away if you would like. Just set it over there so they can keep looking at it. (laughs) So when the angel comes to Jesus, or comes to Mary, and says, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. She wasn't saying that God was going to leave heaven vacant and come to the earth in the form of a son. What she was saying was God is bigger than our understanding. What the angel was saying, what he was saying was that God is bigger than our understanding and because God is God, it's possible for him to do that. So when we look at this as an unconventional birth, we understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is Jesus. He's the Son of God. And this is the Father. And this is the Holy Spirit. But they're all God. So when we say God with us, then that means that we have all of heaven at our disposal. The purpose of the birth of Jesus was for redemption and also to establish kingdom government in the earth. That's why God sent Jesus to the earth to die on Calvary. Now... Let's talk about kingdom government for just a few moments, okay? Jesus is the head of the church. What did he say? He said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and he was identifying to Peter who he's talking to, and he said, You're Peter, and upon this rock, speaking of himself, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In another place in Scripture, the Bible said that the stone which the builders disallowed has become the head of the corner. 
He's the chief cornerstone. And so Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Somebody say the head of the church. Now, when the Bible said here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government, somebody say government, shall be upon his shoulder. Now, the government will be upon the shoulder of the one who is wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. But how many know that the shoulder is not the head? Does that make sense? The shoulder is not the head. So when the Bible says that the government shall be upon his shoulder, here's what he was saying. He was saying, I'm going to be the head of the church and I'm going to build the church upon this rock, but I'm going to give governing authority to the church because the shoulder is the body. The shoulder is the part of the body of Christ. So God has placed kingdom authority upon the governing body called the church. We have responsibility being connected to Him as sons of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, representatives of the, of the Lord upon the earth. We have the responsibility to govern the kingdom of God. The Bible said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Those of you that's been here for a minute has heard me teach this, but there's a, some of you that are kind of new, so let me just say it real quick like. When the Bible said seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is God's system and God's ways of doing things. It's God's government. It's the way that God governs. So the Bible said to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then all of these things that we are worried about that we want will be added unto us. So the bottom line is this. If we get involved in kingdom activity, then we can have kingdom results. But if we try to receive something from heaven by working world activity, then we're not going to get the result that we want. We have a responsibility to govern according to the kingdom. Now, this brings me to a very hard question that I get asked many times. Here it is. If God is so wonderful and so powerful, and so mighty, then why doesn't God do something about all the violence, all the famine, and all the war, and things like that in the world today? How many has ever wondered that? You can show me your hand. How do you think I came up with this answer? I was wondering that. I was praying. I was asking God. Give me an answer to this. Here's God's answer. You ready? This is God's answer. God's answer was this. I gave you, I gave the world 
the church. God did do something about the war. God did do something about the famine. God has done something about the hunger in the world today and about the violence. The problem is the church is not operating in kingdom authority. We are not governing according to the word of God. You see, we have a responsibility as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ to do more than just say, Lord, I receive you into my life. I believe that you're the son of God and now I'm going to go to heaven. And so we're running around and we're trying to get people to pray that prayer and, and believing that they're going to make it to heaven and all of these kinds of things and we're forgetting all of the other things that pertain to the kingdom that we're supposed to be governing over. How come there is so much, how come there is so much hunger in the world today? Because the church is not being the church. Only 18 to 20% of the people who call themselves Christians pay an honest tithe. What if that was 100%? There'd be no more hunger in the world today. Well, well what about war? How long has it been since you've prayed for peace? How long has it been since we paid, prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? How long has it, has it been since we prayed for peace for our brothers and sisters around the world? How long has it been since we asked the church, stood up and said, you know something, I'm going to exercise my right and my kingdom authority. The Bible said that the government would be upon the shoulders of Christ, which is the body of Christ, and I'm the body of Christ. And so I have governing responsibility, and I have governing responsi responsibility, and I have governing authority over the works of the enemy. Amen. How long has it been since the church got together? Here's an old-fashioned idea. In an old-fashioned prayer meeting and bound the principalities and the powers over different regions in the world. Don't you blame God for something that the church should be solving. We shouldn't be blaming God for something that the church ought to be doing. Why doesn't God do something about famine? He gave the world the church. Why doesn't God do something about violence in the world? He gave the world the church. Why doesn't God do something about war? He gave the world the church. So God's answer to that hard question is be the church. See, we want God to be a robot, some kind of machine where we go like that or put in the right code and God does what, or, you know, we pray the right prayer with all the right words and God just springs into action. That's what we want. But that's not how God is. God is no, not robotic. He's relational. He's relational. He wants us as the church to step out and start meeting the needs of our world. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse number 31, maybe as the church we should focus more 
on these things instead of, you know, church politics or getting things my way or making sure the color is the color that I like or the carpet's the color that I want or the kind that I want or, you know, uh, well, I just don't necessarily because, you know, they don't sing the songs that I like or, uh, you know, that preacher doesn't preach the way, you know, or, uh, you know, I was gone, you know, for three weeks and no one ever contacted me or came. But listen, you probably weren't lost. You were probably just being ornery. Had one person that left here and came back about five or six weeks ago, five or six, not ago, but five or six weeks later, and he comes up to me, and he says, you know, I can't come to this church. I said, how come? He said, because I left for a month, and no one came and contacted me. And the Bible said those, that, that if there's a sheep out there that's lost, that you're supposed to leave the 90 and 9, and you're supposed to go and get them. And I said, sir, you weren't lost. You were just being ornery. And I'm going to tell you something. I love you very much, but there's not a button on my coat for sale, and I cannot be manipulated. Now, here's the thing. If I know that you're hurting and I know something's going on in your family and things like that, then I'll check on you. But if you're just trying to manipulate me to run over to your house so I can sit down over a cup of coffee so for the next hour and a half I can listen to you gripe and complain about everything that you don't like, you've got another thing coming. I'm not going to be there. i got too many other things that's important. Matthew chapter 25, these are some ideas right here. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all nations and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and He'll set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now look at verse number 35. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous, somebody say the righteous, then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That's what the church should be focusing on. Spreading the gospel around the world in word and in deed. And in deed. How do I preach if I don't have an oratory gift? You feed the hungry, you clothe the naked. You go to those that are strangers and you take them in. You visit the sick. You go see those in prison. You become the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus. His eyes to see the need. His ears to hear the cry of the hurting. His hands to reach to those that need to be touched by his love. His feet to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his heart to feel compassion for those that are lost. That's how the church wields governing authority over the kingdom. 
So we quit blaming God for the famine and we quit blaming God for the hunger and we quit blaming God for the war and we quit blaming God for the violence and we get lost in being the church. That's his answer. Anything less makes him a robot. And he's not a robot. He's love. He's love. God is love. Love demands choice. Love demands choice. You understand? We choose whether we're going to love him. Because he chose to love us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're saying, no matter what we're doing, he chose to love us. So the birth of Jesus was about redemption and kingdom government in the earth. As the church, we have the responsibility to preach the word. Let me give you the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 says this. Preach the word. Be instant in season. Out of season. That means when you feel like it and when you don't, be ready to preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, I don't see anything there. Let me, let me kind of read it uh, in what's going on in the church today, okay? Let me kind of, if, if, if this, is, this is how it would read if the church was following, you know, well, you'll understand. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, and tell me everything that makes me feel good so when I leave, I don't feel bad anymore. Is that what the Bible says? It says to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, everything that we do there, when we reprove, we rebuke, and we exhort, we have to do it in love, obviously, because God is love. What is reproving? What is rebuking? What is exhorting with, with long-suffering and doctrine? That means that we're allowing the Word of God to make the necessary adjustments in our life to help us become more and more like Jesus every single day. And sometimes that takes a little bit of adjustment. Sometimes I need to be reproved. Sometimes I need to be rebuked. Sometimes I need to exhort. And I'm telling you something. I found out a long time ago that most of the time when I need to be reproved, rebuked, or exhorted, the Lord just does it through the Word. In my personal prayer time. In my personal devotion time. Now here's what I found out. If I slack up on devotion time, personal devotion time and prayer time and Word time, then God's going to have to use somebody else to do that. So there's a good reason for you to stay in the Word, to have devotions every day. So you can let God do for you what He may have to use someone else to do if you slack up. So the Bible said, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That's not a tickling the ears thing. It's, it's understanding necessary Word. For the time will come, now listen to this, Verse number three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto 
fables. That's why it's important for us to stick to the Word. That's why it's important for us to preach the Word, to teach the Word. Some people say, and my staff, they laugh at me all of the time. They'll say, you know, you can get up there in the pulpit and you can say something that other people just wouldn't even dare say. I said, well, number one, I'm pastor, and number two, everybody knows I love them. Well, almost everybody knows I love them. I try to let everybody know I love them. There's a few that wonder, but I do. And because of it, I would rather take a risk on hurting your feelings and getting you to heaven than to sit back and give you what you want to hear right now and know you're going to go to hell. So it's important to stand up and preach the Word of God and allow the Word of God to reprove, rebuke, and exhort and not fall into the trap where, where we are uh, turning people's ears from the truth and turning them unto fables. And so as the church, we have the responsibility to preach the Word. Secondly, as the church... We're talking about kingdom authority now. Secondly, as the church, we have the responsibility to demonstrate the power of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, here's what the Bible says. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and he said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And this was the purpose of it, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God but in the power of God. So you have the Apostle Paul here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, talking about how that he could stand up and wow them with his wisdom. And that's wonderful and that's great. And that really feeds intellect, doesn't it? But what's more effective than that is the demonstration of the power of God. The method of operation, the MO of Jesus when he was on this earth was work miracles, get a crowd, and then sit down and teach them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's what he did. Jesus would work miracles until there was a crowd. He demonstrated the power of God. He healed the sick, cleansed the leper, caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, dumb to talk. He cast out devils. He fed 5,000 men besides women and children with five loaves and two fishes, took up 12 baskets that remain. He raised the dead. Jesus did all kinds of things that attracted a crowd. But, the, but what he did, it, he wasn't out here trying to manipulate people to come. He was demonstrating the power of God. And he demonstrated the power of God and people would show up. And then the Bible says that he would sit down and teach them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus realized that what I can get into them is more valuable than what I can do for them. The Word of God that I teach you today can sustain you throughout this next week. If you refer back to it and let it feed your spirit and let it feed your soul, it can sustain you. But if we just get together and we just, you know, all kinds of things and we never get any Word inside of us, you can't live tomorrow on the shout from yesterday, but you can live tomorrow on the Word you received yesterday. Because the Word of God is food for your soul. So the Bible says, Paul said his speech and preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but he demonstrated it. He demonstrated with, uh, with the Spirit and with power. And the purpose of that was that our faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Everything valuable that you have as a Christian came from God. Everything. And then the third thing, as the church, we have the responsibility to share God's love globally through the proclamation of the gospel 
through humanitarian efforts. We have a responsibility to do that. Like this container we're going to be sending over to Jamaica. We as a church have a responsibility to pack that thing to the gills because we know that our brothers and our sisters in a different country need it. And we have the the wherewithal to be able to do it. And so we need to be involved in humanitarian efforts, both at home and around the world. We need to be involved, and we are, with the West Pasco Pregnancy Center. We need to be involved with the Rope Center. We need to be involved with ACTS. We need to be involved in those things that are, that are in our area. Pasco Sheriff's Charities and whatnot, uh, Women's 360 and Light Up the Night. If you go over there and at Wiregrass Mall here in just a few weeks, you're going to see our name up there on a big banner. We're one of the number one sponsors for Light Up the Night, which is, which is um, human trafficking awareness. So we're, we're involved in things like that. We need to do that. That's a humanitarian effort. It's what the Word of God says that we should do. But the Word of God also tells us that we're supposed to reach around the world. We're supposed to do whatever we can to reach into the highways and the byways and compel people to come in. It's the purpose of the church. It's why Jesus came. Jesus came for redemptive purposes and to establish kingdom government. We have the responsibility to operate and to govern the kingdom that Jesus established. He gave it a name. He called it the church. You're petering upon this rock I'll build my church. It's the first place in scripture you'll find the word church. It was birthed by Jesus the same way that the world was created. When he spoke it out, the church was birthed. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give unto you, speaking of humanitarian aid, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this, by what? By loving one another shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one for another. The Bible says, how can, you, how can you say you love God who you have not seen if you hate your brother who you have seen? That's not my words. That's the word of God. It's what the Bible says. God's word says, this is how men will know that you are my disciples is if you have love for one another. So in closing today, it's time for us to stand up and be the church that Jesus built. That's why he came. Emmanuel, God with us. The creator of all. The redeemer of all. The teacher of all. As one. God with us. So we need to be the church that Jesus built. And the promise that we have from him goes back to our springboard scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 7. God promises us success. He says, if you'll do this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. So if we take this leap of faith and get involved in governing the kingdom 
with kingdom authority because of our position in Christ, then the promise that we have is that God will increase his government and he will increase and the Bible's peace and the Bible said that there would be no end and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the latter time forth, even forevermore. And then the Bible said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the bottom line is this. God has placed governing authority of the kingdom of God squarely upon the shoulders of the church. So let's quit blaming God for things he's not doing when he's already done everything he can do. He's just waiting on us to step up and fulfill our role and do what we're supposed to do. Well, how can I apply that to my life this week? Find someone that has a need and try to fill it. Find a tear and try to heal it. Spread your arms open wide to those that are lost, to those that are hurting, to those who don't understand. Don't shy away from the hard questions. I love the hard questions. I'm a thinker. I told my mother-in-law yesterday I was going to start smoking cigars because people that smoke cigars are thinkers. I was messing with her, obviously. I was messing with her. But I think she believed it for just a minute. But open up our arms to receive the hurting. Quit blinding our eyes to those who are hungry when we see them. Do what God tells you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Before you give, now listen to me. I'm going to give you a little pastoral advice here, okay? Because I love you. Before you give money to a homeless person, ask God, should I? And if he says yes, ask him, how much? And if he gives you an amount, give no more and no less. I don't believe that we ought to leave here and say, well, you know, we have kingdom authority and we're supposed to be humanitarians and we're supposed to meet everybody's need. And so we go out here and we just go broke just supporting someone else's habits. We have to use wisdom, kingdom authority, kingdom authority. Kingdom authority comes with kingdom responsibility. We have to use wisdom. The moment you pay your tithe, every other dime in your pocket belongs to God. And he governs the way that you give it or spend it or pay your bills or whatever. You say, well, it's mine. I understand that. But what you're doing is you paid your tithe and now the rest of your money is sanctified. And God will protect it. So ask him how to spend it. Ask him to give you direction. I don't want us to fall into the trap and I don't want anyone to misinterpret me. We need to extend and we need to govern. And, but that's the thing. We've got to govern. We have to govern. We can't just give. We need to govern. That means we give expecting oversight. 
because we are governing in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Has this made sense to you today? Has it helped you? Open your eyes to see things maybe? Amen. I love being a pastor. I enjoyed evangelism, but I don't have the strength for that anymore. Now I just like to get up here and teach. And then I like to see you guys take that and apply it to your life. And I just love to see what God does for you. It makes me feel good when you get it. Amen. It's exciting, isn't it? Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.